0: Hi, I'm Natalie Moore, Southside Bureau reporter for WBEZ, and you're listening to Curious City. It's where we answer your questions about Chicago, the region, and its people. And in this episode, children in schools. Later, we'll look at truancy and how keeping kids in school has changed over the years. But first, we'll tackle a question about the racial composition of Chicago public schools. How many white children in the city attend CPS? And why does that matter? The answer may surprise you. That's coming up right after this. WBEZ's Curious City is supported by the Chicago Council on Global Affairs, hosting 150 public events each year that go behind the headlines. Hear directly from world leaders, policymakers, and international experts, and meet other curious Chicagoans. Learn more about upcoming events and membership at thechicagocouncil.org.
1: Who's the... T- what is going to be... When we're Where do I... Why is it- How many... What
0: is the... What? <laughs> I'm Natalie Moore, and you're listening to Curious City. Today's question comes from a woman who wanted to remain anonymous. She asked us, what percentage of white school-aged children attend public school? Well, the short answer is 51%, according to the U.S. Census. So roughly half of all white children who could go to CPS do the other half gets their education somewhere else. We'll get into the ramifications for CPS a little later, but first let's take a closer look at why parents do or do not send their children to CPS. Of course, deciding where to enroll your child in school is an intense and private family decision. Some parents want their children to get a religious education, others want better resources, and sometimes where to go to school is simply a matter of logistics. Alice DuBose lives in Andersonville and says she never had a problem with the neighborhood public school, but she did have a problem with this location relative to her job. When her children were in elementary school, DuBose worked at the University of Chicago. So she enrolled her three children in the University of Chicago laboratory schools on campus.
1: I could drop the kids off in the morning and go on to work. And, and it was really great when I was working here because then I could just go over and see my daughters. So it was absolutely fantastic that way. So it was more convenient. If we'd gone to a neighborhood school, I could never have participated in their classroom activities.
0: It also didn't hurt that Lab is a well-regarded private school with lots of resources. Mayor Rami Manuel's children go there.
1: Lab's terrific. Great teaching, smaller classrooms—all the things that we all want for our children.
0: DuBose's daughters attended there until 8th grade and then went on to attend Whitney Young, a CPS selective enrollment school. Now, DuBose hopes her son follows in their footsteps. The reality is many middle-class parents, including those not initially in CPS, jockey to get their children in selective public high schools like Whitney Young. More on that in a bit. Not far from lab in Hyde Park, I found a white family who was committed to CPS from the very beginning. Hi. Hi. At the home of Joy Clendenning and Michael Scott, a sign in the window says, support neighborhood schools. Our children all went to Ray Elementary School for kindergarten through sixth grade. And then our oldest went on to the Kenwood Academic Center. Our second um, went to the Whitney Young Academic Center. And then we have twins who are 13, and they are currently in eighth grade at the Kenwood Academic Center. Ray is a neighborhood school that also accepts students outside its attendance boundary through a lottery. 20% of its students are white and 55% black. Kenwood is the neighborhood high school and is 86% black. Their son was one of only a couple white students in his graduating class.
2: Kenwood was a very good place for Sam. He was very comfortable, and I don't think it was we ever thought, oh, look, this is too black. Yeah, I mean, I think think
0: we think it's a problem that schools are segregated and and, and neighborhoods are segregated. And we definitely think it's a problem that people in our neighborhood don't give the public schools a serious try. Our Curious City question asker, who again wants to remain anonymous, raised a similar point in a follow-up email. This is what she wrote. I ask this question because I've noticed in my small sampling of visiting public schools, other than a few of the magnet schools, it seems that we have a segregated school system along race lines. We know Chicago is almost equal parts black, Latino, and white. But that's not the case when it comes to the city's youth. While a third of Chicago's overall population is white, most of those numbers skew older. That means there aren't many white school-age children to begin with. Of CPS's 400,000 students, roughly 163,000 are black, 180,000 are Hispanic, just 34,000 are white. Why does any of this matter? I paid a visit to Elaine Allensworth at the University of Chicago. She's director of the Consortium on Chicago School Research.
2: Honestly, when you look at the data, it's very disturbing because I think we do think of ourselves as a city, you know, a multi-ethnic city, you know, a city of racial diversity. But then when you look at the numbers and you see how many schools are one-race schools and how segregated schools are based on race, I don't think that's actually where we want to be as a society.
0: Segregation is made worse by the low number of white students overall.
2: We have a lot of neighborhoods in the city that are 90% or more African-American or less than 10% African-American. In fact, the vast majority of the city has that degree of racial segregation.
0: In other words, if we don't live together, we don't tend to learn together. Take Mount Greenwood, for example, on the southwest side. 82% of the student body is white, the highest percentage in all of CPS. And that makes sense. Mount Greenwood, the neighborhood, is a majority white community. The same holds true for many majority black communities.
2: And as a result, the schools that serve the neighborhoods are also highly segregated based on race. So we have many, many schools in the district that are you know, close to 100% African American.
0: Those poor-performing schools are typically in poor, under-resourced black communities.
2: When we look at which schools are, you know, struggling the most, they're in the absolute poorest neighborhoods of the city where there, it's you know, substantial unemployment. Um, almost all families are living below the poverty line. Now, almost all of those schools are 100% African American schools. So we're not just talking about racial segregation, we're talking about economic segregation, because there are other schools that are serving more affluent African American communities that do not face the same kinds of problems.
0: Segregated schools have always been an issue, but it looked different back in the day. In the 1960s, CPS's student body was roughly 50% white and 50% black. And today, only 9% of CPS students are white. I asked CPS officials to weigh in on these numbers. They didn't address the segregation issue. They emailed me some boilerplate language about, quote, serving a diverse population. Again, we know half of white school-aged children in Chicago attend CPS. But the question of where they go in CPS is also something that piqued the curiosity of our question asker. She wondered if they are disproportionately attending Magnet and other selective enrollment schools. The answer is yes, they are. Overall, 9% of the CPS student population is white. But it's more than double that at Magnet, Gifted, and Classical elementary schools. And in the eight selective enrollment high schools, like Whitney Young, Nearly a quarter of students are white. Here's Elaine Allensworth again.
2: It's a very small number of students, though, because those schools don't serve a large number of students. We really haven't seen that much of a shift in terms of attracting more white students.
0: Although our question asker focused on that issue, there's another racial shift worth mentioning. It's beyond black and white. The real story of CPS today may be that it's becoming more Latino.
3: I'm reporter Katie O'Brien, and I'm taking on our next question about Chicago Public Schools. Actually, I'm updating a story I did about people who vanished from the CPS system. Here's the question from Sandra Oglesby. The truant officers,
0: why aren't they like they used to be, riding around, picking up kids?
3: Here's the basic answer. For 50 years, CPS hired truant officers. Their main job was to track absent students and get them back in class. In 1992, CPS had a $315 million budget shortfall. To help close the gap, the district laid off all 150 truant officers.
1: That was like a death in the family. You know, that was a really, really positive job. I'd consider it pulling the rug out from under us.
3: This is Patrick Nelson. He was one of those laid-off truant officers. We tried finding someone like him for our first story, but we couldn't. True to form, he found us. And he told us about the key part of his old job, pounding the pavement. Here's a story about him heading to the former Cabrini-Green public housing development to track down a fourth grader.
1: The mother would open the door and there were these boxes. And these boxes were just sitting at the front door. Curiously, I asked her, why are these boxes sitting here in the front door? And she stated that, you know, I'm only going to be here temporarily. Well, I was at that school for two years and I would visit that kid off and on. And those boxes were at that door. She was just in a state of denial about where she was and what was important. I could only do what I could do to stabilize that particular student and make him feel welcome at school.
3: We wanted to get Nelson's perspective on a new strategy to combat truancy, because CPS's current tactics aren't working. A Chicago Tribune investigation found that in the 2010 school year, one in eight elementary students missed the equivalent of a month or more of school. Stats like that prompted the state to create a task force to come up with fixes The top priority, bring back truant officers, but ask them to do more than physically find and return kids to class. Here's Jeff Aronofsky with the State Board of Education.
0: We were also cognizant that we didn't want to leave things off the list of recommendations that we thought would actually have a great impact.
3: So the state's recommendation is to bring back truant officers, but call them attendance coordinators. Beyond pounding the pavement, these coordinators would have backgrounds in psychology, social work, data analysis, and be trained in counseling. The idea is to track chronic absenteeism and address its root causes. CPS hasn't signaled what it will do with this recommendation. But we thought we'd run this catch-all attendance coordinator idea past our former truant officer, Patrick Nelson. Put simply, he worries this new job description is likely to fail.
1: Have a truant officer do truant officer work and limit it to enforcing the compulsory school law. This catch-all ideology that our government or whatever is, is trying to embrace only makes things more confusing. There's really not enough time in the day.
3: Reporting for this episode comes from Natalie Moore and me, Katie O'Brien. To learn more about Chicago Public School demographics and truancy, head to wbez.org curiouscity Curious City. While you're there, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. This is our last episode for a little while, but before our new season begins, you can check out our other 72 episodes. That's plenty to keep you busy from now through the holidays. Maybe past Labor Day 2015. Another thing. Since we're gearing up for next season, we'd love some fresh questions about Chicago, the region, and its people. Head to our website and tell us yours. We'll keep an eye out for it. Curious City is produced by Jennifer Brandel, WBEZ, and AIR, with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and the Doris and Howard Conant Fund for Journalism.